Well, I'll start with there's a lot of um, big animals that get shot throughout the world every year. A lot of uh, records are broken, a lot of world records, a lot of everything else. But there's uh, an aura around that ram uh, that's different. It was life-changing. Um, it was life-changing the day that we shot it, and it and it continues to be life-changing. It's one of those things that um, it's just sensed, and it's not fully understood by everybody. I don't know how to say that. Something is different about that brand. Welcome to the GSEO Podcast, where hunting is the number one conservation tool. I'm your host, TJ Sanchez. And today, for our first episode, we have two awesome guests. These two guys um, guided one of the most memorable and life-changing sheep hunts uh, in recent memory. And I can't wait to dive into that story. Um, We're going to get into that uh, amongst some other topics here on the podcast this morning. Um, But without further ado, I'd like to introduce uh, outfitter and guide Jake Franklin and professional skateboarder and also hunting guide uh, Jeff Rowley of Kika Worldwide. How you guys doing this morning? Very good, very good. We're pleasure to be here, man. Yep, for We're sure. We're excited about the new podcast. Yeah, thanks for having us. Beautiful morning today in California. Cool, man. A beautiful morning here in Colorado as well. Uh, just got done grinding at the gym and uh, looking forward to hearing uh, everything that you guys got to say about uh, GSEO and, and the sheep hunt and, and um, conservation. And just we'll just dive into a bunch of to- topics and just and just see where it goes. Yes, sir. Sounds so, good. So if you could just do like a, for those listeners that don't know who you guys are, um, if you could just do like a short introduction, Jake, uh, first um, of kind of your background in, in outfitting and, you know, how you started in that. And then we'll dive into a little bit of Jeff, um, how he's crossed over from uh, being a professional skateboarder, which he, he still is, uh, um, is a skateboarder and how he crossed over into the hunting industry. So go ahead and go first, Jake, and we'll... Uh, go from there yeah so i started uh, straight out of high school um guiding got lucky got on with an old-timer outfitter and he was a sheep outfitter and started guiding sheep hunts which is most people's highlight of their hunting career so i ended up uh, being in a lot of magazines and was very fortunate to build my career quickly uh, at a young age and now i'm 15 years into it and we have a great business full of great great guys um we have an incredible time together that's where i'm at today that's awesome i didn't realize you'd been doing it for 15 years that's cool man yes sir it's a lot of sheep (laughs) that's a lot of a lot of sheep for sure so jeff give us just uh i I mean we could do a whole podcast on where you came from for sure but uh just uh, let's keep uh keep it short here and just kind of yeah exactly Um, I'm 46 years old, moved to the United States, 18 years old, um, to pursue uh, the American dream. Basically, I wanted to be a professional skateboarder as a kid, and I moved to Southern California on July 2nd, 1994. And I'm still here now, been able to do what I wanted to do in that realm. And, and uh, you know, the outdoors and hunting has always been a big passion of mine, and just enjoying and thankful for the opportunities that are in front of us and you know the hunts that we've been fortunate to be on so far and i'm just looking forward to more of that big hunts bigger ones that's awesome man. bigger animals harder hunts that's what i'm looking forward to that's cool man well 
uh, GSEO definitely has the lists to do that <laughs> to chase your dream. Like you can pick out an animal and uh, and just go for it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, I've been Jake out. Sorry, before we go, I've been helping Jake out what since 2013. So yeah, nine years. Um, last nine years in California for mostly desert sheep and a little bit of tule elk, a little bit of mule deer. Um, just to kind of put basis on kind of where I'm at now. Sorry, before we carry on. You wanted a short paragraph, but, you know, that gives, puts a little bit of perspective maybe. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, that's what, that was going to be one of my questions was how long have you worked with Jake and so that you answered that for me. That's awesome. So, um, we're going to go back to just a little bit of a GSEO stuff in here and, and, I just wanted to ask you guys, it's kind of a two-part question, um, how you guys found out about GSEO and what separates GSEO from the other conservation organizations? Well, so the way I found out about GSEO was obviously when I first started, I started hunting sheep. Now, I didn't know anything about bighorn sheep when I was in high school, when I was started college, but I did know that they lived around where I lived. And then I started hunting them. Well, it was the first hunt. Um, Daryl Hosker was there that season and I was scouting for a big ram for Daryl Hosker. And I mean, we, a lot of us know Daryl Hosker in the super, you know, slam world, the grand slam world, all the sheep of the world. And his desert sheep was actually the completion of his North America 29 super slam. And so it was, uh, I was kind of right away, right out the gate, introduced to the whole thing. And ever since, it's given a platform for hunters to seek out hunts with people like myself, you know, desert sheep, tule elk, Roosevelt elk, specialty animals that are hard to get. And that's what we specialize in. And so it's kind of been a working relationship with Grand Slam ever since I started, you know, 15 years ago. That's cool. And Jeff? Probably through books, to be honest with you. I'm, I read a lot and, I, you know, the term Grand Slam, everybody knows of that in the outdoor and hunting world. And that's a, you know, that's a term that transcends like every, I think, generation of people. It's a term that we're all aware of. But I became first aware of the Grand Slam Club uh, and the variety of species of sheep through um, the Safari Press, which is a, a publishing company who sells a lot of like, you know, North American and African kind of hunting books, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of Jack O'Connor stuff. And so I first started seeing all of that opportunity through that, you know, and uh, being a reader of books and being somebody that always wants to, you know, hunt jaguars in some remote area or something like that. I did a lot of reading. And so the majority of my exposure to Grand Slam has been through that revenue, that area. That's interesting. You asked, where I, you asked where I first was aware of the Grand Slam Club, and it would have been through that. Well, that's cool. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely different avenues for both of you guys. Um, and I'm not a huge reader; like I, I like to I like to look at pictures. But yeah, I mean, that's cool that that you caught up on through Safari Press. I'm aware of, of that too. That's it's very informative for sure. So that that's that's really awesome, man. So what, what do you guys think sets, sets us apart from, from all the other organizations? Well, it's, there's a, you guys are the original 
kind of like the collector of data within the hunting industry. So um, recognizing the hunters. So it's, uh, I mean, that's the biggest difference. You guys have the awards, mm-hmm. the, not- you know, the notoriety of hunters. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to hit the, collection. The, his- the history all the way through. But it also has, has a very important, plays a very important role in keeping important records for us to look back on that are hopefully correct or as close to correct as we can get them. Uh, and having, a, having an organization take care of that and handle that and, you know, and promote us pushing to, you know, maybe find bigger animals or find different ways to help those animals. But those... Those records and that data is invaluable. Mm-hmm. What other conservation organization does it on a level like Grand Slam Club? Such vast worldwide. And the variety of species that are involved also is a testament to the size and breadth and reach that the conservation organization can have. Um, For sure. So That's definitely a valuable tool, yeah, those records. You could, you could say a lot mm-hmm. more on it. You really mm-hmm. could. But... You know, in a nutshell, it's the original kind of conservation club um, that I think really stood up and people took notice of. Um, and I think that's something that all hunters have benefited from uh, since that inception. And so I think that sets it inside. But again, you can kind of go on. Hey, everybody. Just a quick reminder here to get signed up for our memberships. Whether you're signing up as a new member or just renewing, it is vital in helping our conservation efforts for all species. We have a couple different options for you to choose from. The first is our most popular. It's $75 per year, which you get four issues of the Slam Quest magazine, which in my opinion is the best hunting mag out there. It also comes with many other benefits that you can see on our website at slamquest.org. The second option is our eMag, which is $25 per year, and you get all the same benefits with the exception of voting rights and no print magazine will be sent to you. So if you're a digital person, this one was made for you. You can learn more about how to get signed up for these memberships, as well as our international and lifetime memberships at slamquest.org. So, I mean, I've, I've only been aware of, of Grand Slam since I think it was like 2011. And um, I didn't know really much of the history of it um, until recently when, you know, our new executive director, Jason Price, was kind of giving me a lowdown on how long have they been around, you know, 1956. That's, that's amazing to me. Like digging deep into it now, it's just, it's unbelievable, you know, where it started and then, and then where it is now. It's just, uh, it's crazy. And those record keepings is, is, uh, essential to a lot of people's, uh, careers and keeping track of things and, you know, making the magazine about the hunters and their stories and their pictures and stuff like that, I think is, is awesome. So, mm-hmm. It also it keeps a, a real clear record of genetic uh, areas with genetic superiority across the country as well. Over time, if you look back at those records, there's a lot that we can take from that. You know, and mm. if we didn't have that data, what would we have to reference? True story. Stuff that the state, the records that the states keep, is a little different. Yeah, it's not the same thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a biolo- biological side to it too, as well that everybody benefits from mm-hmm. records, and I don't think that that should be brushed over. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, and that's a, 
a perfect case of that is the new mouflon that's been classified in France. You know, we, we did all the research on, on the genetics of there and, you know, uh, coming up with that new species is just kind of a testament to all that research that goes into that, you know, the DNAs and the different things and to show that, you know, there is actually a different subspecies out there. It's, you know, it speaks to exactly what you're talking about, Jeff. Exactly. That's incredible. Yeah. So. But the stories like that are pretty, I mean, there's so many of them with GSEO. Mm-hmm. Like you go through, you know, I was looking at a new herd of Roosevelt elk the other day and talking with a few people about it. And you, those records are being kept and we can look at the lines of historical movements of animals through a system that awards the hunters. It's weird. You know, it's a, it's special. It's different. Yeah, it definitely is. It def- you, can, you can also reference some of what the state knows. You have a, a little bit more of a, a, a broader viewpoint of, you know, more information to work with mm. as well. Right. You know, see if there's, see if there's disparities. Yeah. It, uh, it's definitely interesting when you start really diving into it, like all the, the biology and stuff that goes into, you know, classifying a new species or just tracking those species over, over time. It's, it's pretty amazing to me. <laughs> I'm not a doctor, but it's, uh, it's awesome. So, um, we talked about a little bit about awards and the GSEO, uh, programs. And I know, um, Jake, you were, and Jason were kind of instrumental in, um, getting that U3 award going. Can you just, uh, speak on that just a little bit, like kind of the conversation you guys had and, you know, kind of how it came to fruition? Yeah, well, it started, I forget which year now, but Jason, myself, and actually one of my guides, Cade Wooten, were sitting around a table and we were talking about how this organization that's had such a huge impact on our industry and our jobs and our careers. How can we give back or how can we help it and kind of breathe new life into it? And so we started thinking about the youth. We started thinking of that demographic 35 to 45 years old. How do we include both of those people? Well, usually people with younger kids are 35 to 45 years old and the kids get them involved young and teach them. And so we were thinking about that, and it ended in our hotel room, um, a very lively discussion. Jason ended up leaving, and Kate and I carried on, and we were so worked up about it. And then we thought of this idea there in our hotel room at the convention, um, something that kind of goes in line with, you know, you have your Super Slam, your Super 25, your Super 10, and then, you know, what's another level of that to bring kids in? like a simplified version that makes it possible for kids to do. And that's when we thought of, well, antlers, horns, and predators. Well, what does that look like? Well, all of those has something that we can get, you know, fairly easy for kids. An antlered species, which lives throughout the U.S., horns. So you have, you know, bison, antelope, sheep. And and I think they include Audad now, which is awesome. And then Predator obviously lives throughout the United States, but it gives, it's not an easy feat, you know, it's a bit of a challenge, but Mm -hmm. not enough of one to scare people off and kind of welcome our youth in and teach them um, about the different species. Because that's another huge thing that a lot of people overlook. It's not just a goal, a hunting goal, um, like a whatever. 
you're getting education on so many different species in the land and the country that they live in. And like, you know, obviously our horned animals live in different places, our antlered animals most of the time, and you're just learning about different species and different lists and whatever. So there's a huge education point that goes into it that we were really excited about with the kids. And then the next morning we go to the convention floor and I grab Jason and like filled him in on our night of restlessness talking about this. <laughs> and then um, he's like, dude, come with me right now. And we went and kind of, I think we ran into Cameron first and talked to Cameron about it. And he's like, Oh my gosh, let's, let's do this. And it wasn't, it wasn't six months later. I feel like it was, you know, had a logo and had um, all the rules defined and everything. And it kind of, it worked and it's happening and it's cool, you know? Yeah. But like I think of my neighbors, you know, my neighbor, I was on her first deer hunt when she was 12 years old, shot her deer. And then she goes and she shoots a bison on a free ranging herd in California. And then, you know, on her bison carcass, she shoots a coyote and it was like, wow, boom, there she is. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's now she's cool. so excited. To go and stand on a stage and get an award, it's so cool. It's cool that they learn also that relationship between the predator and the prey firsthand. Yeah. In the, in the same experience as part of the same goal, mm. you know, that's a big deal. You know, I think that, that's an awesome introduction. Mm. Yeah, 100%. Mm. Just to the outdoors, the experience of you looking, tracking, trailing, calling predators versus how you'd approach it with the antlered and horned animals. I love that. Mm. Yeah learning the different skill sets of how to hunt each one i mean that's such a it's what a cool award i wish they would have had that when i was young <laughs> right we can't get it now can we no dang it man but i mean since the inception there's been 19 19 kids that, that have got it which is absolutely awesome that's you know 19 kids that have achieved a goal a goal and you know that have probably hunted some species that they weren't really interested in until they found out about, you know, this award and what it actually entailed. So that's, that is, that's what a cool story, Jake. I can't believe how it all worked out. And, you know, Jason and the GSEO team were able to push that through. And, and now it's a, you know, it's award at the convention every year. It's, it's just, it's an unbelievable uh, story for the kids. And just, it's just awesome, man. I, I, uh, I love that award. I'll tell you, I was in Texas, um, I think in 2020 was the first year they had it, but that was the year we didn't have a convention. And I remember watching it on my phone and I was pulled over on the side of the road. They're like slightly east of El Paso, middle of nowhere. I didn't know when I was going to lose service. And I pull over and I just watched the introduction. And then I see these kids getting recognized and being proud and knowing that each one of those hunts meant so much to them. And now they're being recognized. Dude, I was a, I was a baby, man. I had tears on my face and just watching it all come to fruition was unreal. It's special. It's special. I don't know if there's another word for it. That's true. That's true. I mean, especially since all three of us have kids, right? Like you can envision yep. your kid like getting up there and getting that award. Like I think it's cool. Mm. Mm. And it's achievable in a lot of places too. It's not somewhere you have to go onto the top of the mountain to achieve. It's it's a goal that, you know, anybody of average physical ability right yeah for Low sure ability can still achieve so not every person is built with that you know the fortune of a you know athletic build kind of thing mm -hmm. and it's nice that 
that, that you know people can be introduced to hunting in the outdoors um you know through an award like this that they can do and it's cool that it's not easy right yeah mm -hmm. like <laughs> it's not like oh you get an award for going hunting for your first time and and shooting you know a coyote in your backyard or whatever mm -hmm. the first hunt is like they actually have to seek it out and pursue it and look at a list and learn about the different species and where they can hunt it and if it counts and you know what i mean yeah like it's it's thanks you're not easy but as far as like kids can do it yeah and they get to see their name on that list of people that have achieved it mm -hmm. also which is a nice goal you know yeah an accomplishment so cool 100 percent. like that's what a way to start off your hunting career like you you know you progression wise you start from the u3 then you progress to the super 10 and then you know say mm -hmm. you start on your capra and then you start on your ovis and then you know you go back to your super 25 and you know it's just a it, it makes it super fun i think and, and just not just checking a box it's just it's just a goal that you're going to attain and and hunting those different species as you kind of progress through your your years of age like it's just it's awesome yeah, and, and even just like you said, progressing to the Super 10, you know, once the kids are interested in this, of course, dad and mom are going to look, well, what else is there? And then you start seeing bears and cats and deer and caribou and sheep and bison, and it's it opens your mind up, no matter who you are, to a world of adventure and a world of knowledge, and it's like, and it all stems and fuels each other. I don't know. It's just, mm -hmm. it's, it's cool. I think... I think the Super 10 and the U3 are the most underappreciated or understood hunting achievements um, right out right now. Like everybody would be into it. And, and you know, even saying like you, you drew a bunch of tags your whole life and you're at seven of the, of the Super 10. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like even just knowing where you are on the list is, is cool to know and appreciate. You know what I mean? For sure. For sure. So speaking of that, Jake, where where are you on that list? <laughs> Dude, I don't even know. I don't get to, I don't get to hunt very much. I, you know, um, you know, it's nice that those other like species, species of animals as well get some highlight, right? Yeah, like you know, such a unique kind of group of animals to be able to kind of hunt all of those and have the t even just the time. To be able to go through and hunt all of those, what an experience. Mm -hmm. And just dreams. Like, it, and I think it helps kids dream about other animals, you know, where you you might have been dreaming of elk your whole life, and now you have this other list, and you, you start YouTubing caribou hunts, or you start YouTubing mountain goat hunts, or, you know, just those other Mexico yeah. deer hunts and things like that, you know what I mean? There's everything is right there. You can just start dreaming and planning your future. And figuring it out. Yeah, exactly. You know, and how am I going to get there, like, financially or, you know, all that stuff that goes in, it goes into that, you know. So Exactly. Exactly. So, well, that's, that's cool. That's good stuff. Good stuff. So, the other award I wanted to talk about with you guys, to get your kind of perspective on it, is we're, we're coming out this year with the new Guide Awards, um, which I'm really pumped about because I think that you guys – Get, should get the most credit out of anybody like i mean i've i've hunted all over the place and whenever i give thanks it's always like man thanks to the guide and the outfitter for everything they they're they're the ones that made this all possible for me to be able to i mean all i did is pull the trigger you know um so it's 
it's an award that I'm excited about and I'm excited to see, you know, what, uh, what you have to do to qualify to get that award. And I know Jake, you, you're pretty high up there and Jeff, you know, being a guide too, like it's just something that you guys can shake and, uh, chase and get, uh, some good recognition for. So what's your guys' perspective on that? Well, so I've talked with Jason about it a bit, but the biggest thing for me, and because I'm speaking for myself here is I don't have time to hunt for myself. I'm so busy, you know, guiding other people. And, and, and right now it's year round, you know, like I'm maybe max a week and a half between being on the ground and hunting and I'm with clients and, and I'm doing it. And sorry, back step just a second. You said that it, you know, we're the most, you know, you guys just pull the trigger and mm-hmm. whatever. Like I get to see how much everybody's pushed all the clients, how hard it was, you know, to be able to afford the hunt in some cases. True. And then you get there and you get the time away from family. And, you know, we were just talking about the super 10, how big of a dedication it is looking at a list like that, trying to figure out how you're going to do all that. So I think it did go in the right order. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As far as, you know, like a grand slam and Ram awards and all that was first. But now you have a lot of guides that we've dedicated our life to hunting um, and the passion of hunting and the passion of all things wild. And we don't have time necessarily to go and get all these lists as hunters. And, you know, speaking for myself, I just don't have time to do it. Um, but now there's a way that I can get recognized, not for my work, but for my passion, just as somebody else's honor, you know, it's their passion, just like guiding is my passion. And, you know, the harder we work and, and the more we think about it and position ourselves correctly, you know, um, there's notoriety. And also on top of that, um, there's a records keeping there that's going to come to the forefront. You know, as these awards come out, there's a record keeping there. And again, it's so important to have your GSEO um, record of the history of hunting, you know? Yeah, that's that's an interesting way to put it, for sure. What do you think, Jeff? I I mean, I, I've been an athlete, if you want to call it, professional skateboarder since I was a little kid. And I, I feel like the North American or the hunting guide in general is the most unrecognized, unappreciated athlete that there's out there. The best ones that have been around, Jake being one of them, um, they're the most diverse outdoorsmen and handy people and physical, physically superior to most other athletes that I've met that I think it's an amazing thing for that achievement where a guy goes the extra mile that year or puts an extra few miles on his boots for his clients and it's, uh, you know, it's been recognized. Uh, I think it's a beautiful thing. And I agree with Jake, it documents the people during those periods that were putting the boots on the ground considerably. Uh, And that is something that will stand the test of time. And if those people are doing that for 10 years, 20 years, or guiding for 30, 40 years, like some are, and still doing it, and still doing it on that high level. It's an incredible accomplishment. That's what I feel. And to get that from GSCO, I think a lot of, of guides out there would really cherish that. 100%, you know? for sure. I think the one thing I would add to that, 
is um, you guys are counselors too. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you have to uh, mentally be there for them when they're down and when they're up, you know. But, but most of the time, those, those the clients, they're pushed further than they're used to being physically. You can see it in their face. You can see it in their body and their, even their conversation a lot of times. So you have to recognize that too, that as much as the guy puts the, the, the client in position to fire the shot, there's a lot that the client has to go through to get there mentally and physically that's not normal for them. You know, true. And yeah, I, I agree. Like the best guys, just they, they make their clients successful, whatever the mm-hmm. case. If they have to mind screw them or do whatever the hell they have to do to get the <laughs> job done and keep them safe at the same time, then that's what they're paid to do. Yeah, right? absolutely. And that's what we need from a guy. We need them there to pick, pick you up yep. when you fall as much as you need them to, you know, help you pull the trigger. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, from a, you know, a client perspective, like, you got to trust your guide 100%. Like you may think, you know, more, but the, you guys know, you know, and that's the thing. Like I always try to tell everybody, just listen to what they say. Like, don't try to overrule them. Like their instincts are what make them the guide. Like you are paying them to do this for you. So it's a service. And, and I think you guys, like you guides, like you guys are instrumental to the success that I've had over the last 20 years of internationally hunting. So that's, it's just an awesome award in that, uh, well, likewise, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Your, your ego is not your amigo. Definitely not. <laughs> that'll get, that'll get you through it. Yeah. Yeah. Listen to your guide people. <laughs> so, um, on that note, um, we're gonna, that's going to bring us right into, uh, the sheep that, uh, everyone wants to hear about. Um, I remember this kind of, this ram kind of put you guys on the map for me, um, as far as the guiding perspective, I, d- I didn't know who you guys were until I saw Jason go after this ram and, and man, what an unbelievable ram. And Jeff, I, I heard you talk about this before, like right after you actually, uh, had taken that ram on a podcast and, and I'm going to be interested to hear both your guys' perspective on, um, hunting together and hunting with Jason and just a, a monumental ram. And still to this day, it's like, everybody knows who Goliath is. Like, it's just an unbelievable ram that deserves to be talked about again. And I just, I'm really excited to hear what you guys have to say about this thing. So, Hey everybody, have you heard about our super slam drawing? If not, check this out. Since 2010, GSEO has sent more than 250 winners on free fully guided hunts with some of the industry's best outfitters. That's more than $5 million worth of hunts. Wow. For only $100 per month or $1,200 per year, you will have the opportunity to win a hunt of a lifetime. In 2022 alone, you will have 30 chances of winning with multiple monthly drawings. You will also receive a GSEO membership and four issues of the best hunting mag in the industry. On top of that, the longer you're in the raffle, the more names you get in the hat. So keep that in mind. That's a big incentive. To join the Super Slam drawing, go to slamquest.org and sign up today. And remember, you can't win it if you're not in it. If you guys would just jump into kind of how it, how you guys spotted this ram, like what it took to get this ram, and, you know, just all the details, like every, all the good stuff everybody wants to hear. Well, I'll start with there's a lot of um, – big animals that get shot throughout the world every year. A lot of 
uh, records are broken, a lot of world records, a lot of everything else. But there's uh, an aura around that ram uh, that's different. It was life changing. Um, it was life changing the day that we shot it, and it and it continues to be life changing. It's one of those things that um, it's just sensed, and it's not fully understood by everybody. I don't know how to say that. Something is different about that ram. I felt it and I lived it uh, firsthand. You know, I was um, in 2015, which is two years before Jason got the ram. Um, Jim Lyons had the tag, and Jim Lyons is a great supporter of GSEO. And he had the tag, and we had found the ram, and we kind of decided that that was our ram that we're going to hunt that year. And my wife at the time was six months pregnant with my daughter, Lucille. And we set our sights on that ram and, and we're not going to give up on that pursuit. And 62 days later, um, Man. she was in, her, herself and myself were in camp the entire time. And we had a rotation of, of hardworking badasses every day slaving away to try and find this ram and, and turn him up um, just to, you know, not get him. And, and the feeling you have when that doesn't work and that doesn't happen and you've invested everything into something um, is one of the reasons why we hunt cheap, but it's also a devastating circumstance when it happens. So then, you know, obviously Jeff and I both had a relationship with Jason uh, at the time. Um, so through casual conversation, he knew about the man uh, and knew about how hard pursuit of him was and then goes into 2016 and, and we didn't have the tag and could not hunt him and then obviously in 2017 Jason ended up with the tag but at this point you know, Goliath was old and we weren't sure if he was alive and I remember the first time we saw him uh, it was August 10th of 2017 and we couldn't hunt him until November but we knew he was still alive and he his hips were sunk in spent maybe a total of 45 minutes a day on his feet. The rest of the day he would be bedded down because his head was simply just too heavy for a small frame. Um, did a lot of brainstorming, a lot of thinking. Um, I got out there uh, October 2nd, uh, started by myself, and um, was there for, I don't know, a long time. A couple of days, I remember you sat like, you sent me a satellite message late in the night saying, meet me here, pick me up tomorrow. I don't know if I'm going to get it out. I might have to drink my piss. In fact, I'm probably going to drink <laughs> my piss. But pick me up here no matter what. And if I'm not there, then I, I know where I know where he came from, so to speak. I think that was, and then yeah. I handed you a beer, I think, when you got out to the trailhead. Man, <laughs> what a guy. What a guy. Yeah. There's nothing like right before you fall asleep at night, in the desert. This has only happened one time. And it was during that time since October 2nd, before we killed Goliath, the, that I was up there, it was a huge hike and, and I'd been watching the weather slightly, but I didn't notice, or I don't know what happened, but I didn't know it was going to be over hundred degrees. And I'm like, well into my hike planned with water for a few days. And then I freaking top out and I'm like, I only have, you know, 16 ounces of water left. Oh, man. Are you kidding me? And I'm like way in, I mean like way in up on this ridge. And, and so 
I remember before I went to bed, I remember seeing something that was like, try and save your pee before you get too dehydrated because then it turns to yellow and it does less good. So I was hydrated at that point, and so I started peeing in my water bottles. <laughs> and then the next morning, instead of carrying on and scouting for the rest of that day, I retreated and got back to the truck where Jeff was um, before I had to drink my pee, which was super great. Dude, that's some next level like and it was, commitment. It was, it was <laughs> a little bit hotter than normal at that time, if yeah. I remember. It was on the warmer end, uh, so we were going into you know scouting for Jason's hunt. It would have been a couple of a few weeks or something before I can't remember. Yeah, but it was a little while before, and we were starting the scouting. And I remember very clearly going in, going, dude, it's it's hot. We're going in hot, and we just started to pound all of the avenues that we knew to look for him early on. And I remember thinking that it's, it's dry, it's dry, it's mm-hmm. hot right now. And that was our scouting, which doesn't help your scouting, does it? If you you're dealing with uh, extreme heat when you during the daytime when you have only so far you can go in and come out. Right. I remember that was that was the start of Jason's hunt. I remember. So quick Dude. quick question on that. Like what do those rams do when it's that hot? Do they just lay up under a rock or uh no. They'll no. be out in the open. Yeah, they're wow. just living their best life. They're Dang. desert sheep an unbelievable animal. Uh you know, Goliath only drank realistically for about thirty days a year. And that was because the ewes that he was breeding were consistent on water and they'd hit water every day. But he he lived primarily on um, barrel cactuses. You wow. know, for nine months out of the year or however long, he just eats barrel cactus. And if you, like, on rams, you know, cactus rams, I'll call them sometimes, on cactus rams, they're not dependable on water. They can go anywhere they want. They do whatever they want, and they're just trying to be comfortable all the time. But when you spot those rams, like if we're following a really big ram like Goliath was, he had a lot of chips on his first quarter on his right horn. So, But they weren't like fighting chips, and they were specific to one side, not both sides. You know, both sides, it could be like a fighter or something like that. But when it's kind of just kind of sloughed off a little bit on that first quarter, a lot of times that's from just smashing open a barrel cactus on his right horn for 10 years you know mm-hmm. and so you're like okay this ram's going to be really you know he hits water in august and you're like this ram's going to be really hard to find come november because he doesn't care about use he doesn't care about water and he's going to be wherever he wants to be so then it and and we knew that about goliath and that was one of the challenges we had with him is he could be anywhere you know mm-hmm. it it was we, we knew bits of you know where he went in the past. Where he, yeah, where he'd go at times that wouldn't help us during the time that it was hungry. <laughs> yeah. But um, that's the that's the allure of it too, though, and the challenge of it. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, um, I'm glad it was like that. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be like that. Yeah. Yeah, and then there was one huge canyon that. Uh, we couldn't really get to the bottom of like it was it's a big deep canyon and you can't see every nook and cranny but if you can see every nook and cranny everything you're seeing sees you too and they're running and so we decided to not go down there until jason was there and we thought we had checked everything there are two areas we hadn't really gone into that was one of them the big canyon that we're talking about and then and then the other the part other 
but the other part was so dry and desolate. I went over there and drove for like 15 minutes and was like, this is wasting our time. Let's get out of here. I mean, there was not like you blow on the grass and it blows away. You know? Wow. And so we do this big Canyon and it's a, a 11 and a half mile walk. Um, and Jason did it and cash did it and we hiked it and it was like ultra exhausting. Cash was toast. We were all were tired. Our feet were sore. And we get in and like, we didn't see Cash is what, nine years old, ten yeah. years old? Think about that. How, how was he? How old was he? He was nine or ten years old, I think, wasn't he? Nine to eleven. Yeah. I don't know. I don't Somewhere. know where. He was not The max of that's eleven. A, that's a grinder, man, for a nine-year-old. Eleven and a half miles in, like, the, the first, like, you climb 2,000 vertical, and then you drop about five, four, or no, 3,500, 3,500. So it's just a big day. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was gnarly, but, and so we end the day and Jason's like, dude, that's where he thought he was. I was like, yeah, that's where I thought he was. And he's like, well, just let's drive around the zone. Like, what do you mean? He says, tomorrow, let's not even walk. Let's just walk around the entire zone. I was like, okay, sounds good. And so we just got in the truck and drove all the boundaries and that little part that's like kind of off by itself was so dry. We're driving around that and it's probably three or four in the afternoon. By the time we get all the way around there, it's, I don't know, a hundred mile drive to drive around it and going around that last corner. And all of a sudden there's like some quail on the ground, a deer runs across the road. And this is the Sonoran desert. So it's like, you don't see quail and you don't see deer unless there's grass. And all of a sudden there's like some speckled grass around. And it, a, a thunderstorm in the summer had gone and hit the end of that little range and where you couldn't see it unless you went through the whole range or, you know what I mean? And it was so simple, but so dumb that that's when we found it with Jason on the second day of his hunt. And I pulled my binoculars up and Paul Bride, the photographer, actually got a picture of this moment. Jason and I have our binoculars on the hood of the truck. And I'm blasting, and then I see a broken open barrel cactus that's not even a week old. And I just dropped my binoculars because we had seen every other mature ram in the whole zone. And I just dropped my binoculars, and I was like, Jason, we found him. He's like, what do you mean? Where is he? I'm like, no. Like, there's a cactus that's been eaten this week. Rams are the only thing that bust them open and eat them, and it's green. He can go anywhere. I mean, it's, it's 20 miles. There's rams here. Yeah, and, and we know, and, and yeah, I we know it's him, and I knew it was him in my head. I, some people thought I was crazy, but whatever. <laughs> um, but you know, I dropped my binoculars and was like, "We got him." Now we just need to figure it out. And then Jason, uh, Paul, and I just posted up, and they watched a football game, and I just glassed what I could see because it was like a football game that they were like so excited about, and they were phone service randomly, and so. The next day, I had a few guys that were very far in, like a day day walk into the desert, mm -hmm. and and I had all the crew, and we were so spread out across the whole range. Um, so the next day, we just stayed external on that part of the mountain, but I didn't have everybody yet that I wanted, and so we just kind of skirted the outsides and looked in from the outside, um, all while constructing a plan to just dissect the whole range. And so now day 
So that was the third day. Nobody saw sheep, not a ewe, not a ram, nothing, no sheep. So then the fourth day comes, and I'll never forget Brendan coming up to me. And he just looked at me, and he's like, you sure you don't want somebody over here? Because there's a spot that, like, we we were seeing rams, and new rams were popping up. He's like, hey, you sure you don't want a couple of guys over here as a backup? And what popped in my head was to burn the boats, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you, don't have, if you don't have complete faith in something, do you have any faith at all? And I'm like, no. Like, I, I, I saw that cactus. I know he's here. I'm committing everybody because if I don't commit somebody, that means I'm not 100%. We, we had, if I remember rightly, the night before, we had the map out on the ground and it was two major areas we hadn't gone into. And once we made the decision, you made the decision were to go the next day, that was we, Jake, we then didn't want to split guys into the other place we hadn't gone into because it, that wasn't the way to go into that place either. Right, you needed everybody. We needed everybody to go in each of the spots. Either way, it, wouldn't, it wasn't the site, like the, the canyons and the areas required to cover to cover the mountain. And you know, in the in the time, the day or the two days, we might have done that. Right, but it required that amount of people to cover it properly. Now, quick question: Were you guys the only ones that were hunting at the time, or was there another tag holder? Uh, no, we were the only ones. Okay. There's, there's only a few people who'd seen him on the hoof. Mm-hmm. Only a few during all those years, um, you know. And uh, wow. And so we, we 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 knew a lot about about him. You know, we knew a lot about what he looked like and a lot about what he did that we were able to gather, um, so to speak. Yeah. And then you're narrowing it down now. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So then, sorry to just. I'm just like so into this story. You're right good, now. man. Get it. I haven't been in a while, but, um, so then, uh, Brady and Stephanie Lowe were down from Canada, um, just hanging out and they were walking up this Canyon up to this big peak. And sure enough, like close to them, they're like, Hey, we just saw you. And they're like, Whoa, that's weird. We haven't seen a sheep over here in forever. And then they sit down and, the wind wasn't right and they didn't want to bump a sheep or anything, but they were kind they didn't really know that there wasn't any sheep over there, you know? Mm-hmm. So to them, what was a you to me was a big deal. And anyway, they were just holding up and I forget if it was Brady or Stephanie, but one of them went pee and then they look up there. They're like, Oh, it looks yellow. And they're like, Oh my gosh, that's a giant Ram. That's, that's him. And, and then boom, he went out of sight you know, shortly after they saw him and then how far they were close. They were like four or 500 yards. Oh, from okay. Him. And they backed out and then pretty much nobody saw him again. And, uh, Jason cash, me, Brendan and, uh, Paul, we go up into a, a part where we thought we could, get a look at him and we top out with the whole you know the group i just named and again he's not there and we then decided that jason and i were going to go in blind and peek right over into the canyon where he went into that you can't see from anywhere except we're going to top out and prior to that or everybody was split up all the way around the mountain people coming in from the bottom and guys up on top mm-hmm. yeah and, and jake and jason 
and Cash and Paul and myself and Brendan were down low and we had to miraculously just convene at the bottom of a canyon. Oh, that's right. Which we did. <laughs> and then we had to back out. Yeah. And then we had to um, back out from there, which took us a few hours to get all the way around the mountain, mm. knowing that there was sheep up on high, knowing that we needed to go quick because it was probably Goliath and knowing that every second counted. Uh, and that's what we did, ripped all the way around. We bumped you guys off, right? And then you hiked up. This is a big hike again for uh, cash for everybody. So the physical side of what Jake, you're over riding the physical side of it. There's a big physical side to getting around and getting into position to even see him. Wow. Yeah. And you're, yes. So you have to do quick map work. They're huge. I mean, huge moves. Like, yeah. huge. I mean, yeah. you're. It's not like, hey, we're going to be over there really quick and go have a no, look. It was, was probably another eight to 10 mile day. It was Dang. then later. Afternoon, early afternoon, wasn't it? After afternoon, by the uh, time you get back around there. Yeah, 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 yeah. I yep. know. Mid afternoon, and then we, and so now, hiked our butts up there to a spot where we think we could get a glimpse of these sheep again. Um, and the whole time, Brady and Steph are like out of communication, and so essentially we're going off of, um, like a inreach text. Mm-hmm. We don't even know. We think, but we don't know for sure that this is the ram we're looking for. Well, no and, one could really see him. Yeah, and we don't Brady know. No, they, yeah, and then Brady and Steph backed out, and they couldn't see him, and we have no contact with him. Mm. And so mm. once we top out where we think we'll be able to see in there, we can't. So then Jason and I make the decision to do a big traverse and go through a couple saddles and then top out on a peak where it's like right above where he was last seen. And we go over there and we're being quiet and Jason and I just went full, you know, we were just, I told him, I'm like, this is the sheep hunt, dude, you and me right now. And the, I don't know, we just crept over the top and 275 yards, I see a sheep bedded and I pull my binoculars up and it's you and right below her, there's a ram. And the second I saw him, I just looked back at Jason and I said, we found Goliath. Really? And I was like, yeah. How far? I said, 275 yards. Man. And he laid down on this rock prone with his bipod out, and it was like a flat rock. And he lays down, but Goliath was so big, his horn actually come back behind his shoulder mm -hmm. and then come back up. And so he was essentially blocking his vitals bedded broadside. And Jason's like, man, I can put it right in his neck in front of, you know, inside of his curl. And I was like, no, 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 we don't need to do that. He's like, man, I'm super steady and I'm, I could hit a fly. And I'm like, well, let's just wait because there's a U bedded above him and he's going to look up at her. You know what I mean? Yeah. Check on her, she's still there. And so we sat there for, I don't know how long, 10, oh, I don't know, five, I don't know how long. Um, and Finally, he looks up at her, and, and Jason didn't even say anything. I didn't say anything. He just flicks the safety off, shoots him. Goliath stood up, turned to 180, and fell down the mountain. Oh, man. And that's when Jason and I, both of us, because there was such an emotional ride for us to get there. Um, it was Jason's Grand Slam Ram. Uh, it was a huge financial yes. burden on him and myself. And... It was everything that we had been working towards, 
and and honestly, in Jason and I's life, both our lives at that point, there was more. Those are what we set our sights out to do, and and kind of the most important thing going on at that time. But there was other things going on that were so emotionally heavy um, that it was like a release that now. I don't know. It was a combination of emotions. And Jason and I sat on top of that mountain. We both cried. Um, we both called our dads instantly. Man, that's cool. And we called our dads, told our dads, and went down. And everybody came from every angle and met up at the ram and took amazing sunset pictures. And Yeah, the pictures I, I remember were amazing for sure. Oh, man. I'll never forget all the talk of, you know, that was the 33rd day I was out there. All Jeez. the talk, of celebration and the party and everything after we shoot the Ram uh, was going to be out of this world, whatever. We're going to throw the cork from the bottle of tequila in the fire. <laughs> and, and then we get back to camp and my dad had stopped everything he was doing. He was a sheriff deputy at the time and went and got a bunch of pizzas and brought them to hunting camp and celebrated with us. But we got there. And we sat around the fire and I got like halfway through like a beer and woke up in the morning laying next to the fire. I was so tired. And yeah, he fell asleep in front of the fire for maybe three hours while we celebrated. Wow. Yeah. You know, and, and it was all of Jason's guides from his Grand Slam hunts as well, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And that's why Brady and Steph were there. Um Brendan was there on his bighorn, mm -hmm. so it was, you know, Steph helped him, or no, sorry, Scott Erickson was there, Scott was on his stone, uh, Brady and Steph were there for his doll, Brendan was there for his rocky, and I was there for his desert, and we were all there together for his desert, um, so it was like a, it was a really big deal. Man, what an amazing moment. A lot of different people, man, it was crazy, and then... Um, we kind of knew how big he was the second we, we knew he was special. And then when we walked up to him, we knew he was extremely special and, um, he ended up being, you know, 191 and seven eights. Jesus. And as pure Nelson, I, as you've ever seen, he, you know, his body probably weighed 130 pounds. He was skin and bone, little frail body looked so unnatural and his horns had like grown together at the base, just one solid he essentially had one horn, you know, it comes up and then just went right across the bottom and one horn grew into the other and he had his other horn. Dang. And yeah, just, you know, I always say there's a few different ways to be legendary with the desert sheep. Mm -hmm. um, like legendary all time is 40 inches, 17 inch bases or 190. And that ran hit all three. Oh was, man. The trifecta. Dude, it's it was unreal. So what it, what was the age of that ram? He was twelve. Yeah, perfect. Is what is what we counted. Yeah, you know what I mean? Could, what you could see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Man, that, he, that what a story. That's awesome, man. And it was crazy to see the difference in him between two thousand sixteen and two thousand seventeen. In sixteen he was like a like a plump steer, you know, like he was just fat, healthy ass kicker mode mm -hmm. and his horns were sharp and clean and like had a shine to him and then he had a little bit more right maybe a couple of inches more. he was bigger in 2016 yeah um 
because he and then 2017 he when we saw him he was had a few more chips had broken off about an inch off each side and just rings around his eyes i call them raccoon eyes on old sheep which means they're probably going to die soon yeah there was the fear of maybe he's just not here mm-hmm. you know which yep. when it gets to that point there's a very real it's going to be soon mm. kind of look yeah but he had beautiful view where he chose once we got he was where he was supposed to be yeah you know he had an incredible view for where he where he died yeah had all the cactuses and all the women he ever needed that's yeah. right all five flowers and just in that canyon you know where he can't be seen by anybody from anywhere unless you're right on top of him that's you know i love that about old rams and stuff like that so cool so um it's awesome too that that ram got to spread those genes for 12 years you know oh, unreal and we see it today like oh that one's that one has the genetics you know yeah there's there's a certain a, look that Goliath had, you know, that drop and the big bulbous freaking eyeballs. He had that certain look and that genetic. Mm-hmm. And they're alive. There's some in there. Is there? How old are you? How old are they now? Five, six? They're uh, still pretty yeah. young. There's a few five or six year olds that are like game on. Really? Mm-hmm. Dang. <laughs> now, yeah. if you could just only get a tag in California. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. What a story, though. What a accomplishment for the whole team. Like all the teamwork that you guys put into that thing, and the the financial commitment, like you said, from Jason. Um, you know the the money that went to California for the conservation. Like the whole story, like is just amazing to me. And then you know seeing that mount at uh, SEI when it was there uh, was just it was special. Like for not only for you guys, I couldn't even imagine for you guys, but for a lot of people that kind of followed along that journey, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, and it's kind of wild now that that's almost like a memorial for Jason. Mm-hmm. Like when you go into the headquarters, you know, there's the full body mount of Goliath and then right under there's a plaque that's in memory of Jason Harrison. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's a testament to an animal that was different. For sure. Well, how, how long were we on the trail room? Like we were, we hunted them for three and a half years or something, right? Yeah. And, the, and I don't know how many hundreds of days. Yeah. You know, I, I finished two books, you know, in 2015, following him through the desert. Wow. You know, watching him every day. I couldn't even say for, how, how many days were put into him. Mm-hmm. An immense amount of effort and time and energy put into finding that one ram and it didn't come it didn't come easy it didn't come quick and uh that makes it all the more memorable as well and lots of lessons learned on the way about sheep and what uh, sheep habits and life lessons yeah and life lessons on the back end of that hit you in the back of the head after you learn something about the sheep that you didn't know or something Mm -hmm. that was interesting or something you can take on to the next hunt that might help you be successful and i think you know at least for me being fairly green to it it was you know, one I'll never forget forever. Yeah, and, and, I'm, and I'm really uh, proud that, you know, the what it gave back uh, in conservation dollars to the state and to the species too. Mm-hmm. Uh, that shows you Jason's commitment to what he was doing as well. Right. You know. Yep. It's a big 100%, deal. 100%. Big deal. For sure. So that leads me to my next question, Jake. How many sheep have you guided? 
A lot. A lot. A lot. <laughs> I've never, ever guided a dollar stone sheep. Uh-huh. That is for sure. But um, I've never even seen a thin horn on the hoof, which is kind of crazy. But um, I've between 115 and 125, probably. Man, that's unreal. And Jeff, how many have you been on? Uh, I don't know. Maybe 30, 40. Wow. Like that. That's pretty good, too, man, for as short amount of time as you've been guiding. That's, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, I love it. I love it. I appreciate the... Uh, Every opportunity to go after that animal and pursue, trail him, put him down. Yeah, yeah, they're uh, they're definitely the pinnacle, I think, of uh, of hunting. I mean, I love chasing all kinds of goats and stuff like that, but like sheep are just they're on another level, I think. Um, and then you hear stories like that, and you find a special ram like that. It just it makes it like just that much more amazing to me. The terrain, too, the terrain is really unusual, you know, for big, vast, open, no cover. Mm-hmm. To, to, you know, to really hone in on, on the sheep out in those places, you kind of can't, you can cut corners to a certain extent, get to certain ridge points and do all of that, but to really do it properly, you know, you need to live with them. Right. Yeah, and it seems like you guys, I mean, do it the the right way. I mean, spending all that time out there in the desert, like, that just shows your guys' level of commitment to make your hunter successful. Like, that's just, that's awesome, man. That's what you look for in an outfitter, and that's all you can ask for. Like, you just, you know, you're out there busting your balls all day, every day, and it's a, it's a testament to you guys to to just grind it out and want your client to be successful every time. So that's, that's all we do for. Yeah, that's so. How many how many clients do you guys usually run a year? Like it's just for, not not including like the deer and the and the elk or anything like that, but like just the sheep. It it totally depends, man. I'm I'm at the mercy of the Western Draw system, mm-hmm. and and the fundraising platform. The, uh, you know, I would say I would say probably. Um, 2017, 18, 19, I was probably at 10 to 15 sheep hunts a season. Wow. Um, and now, you know, there's so much going on um, with special hunts that I do, you know, on the Hearst properties there on the coast of California, stuff like that. Um, and And just me... With more, the more success that I get, I try and transition that into time rather than money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm spending more time with my daughter. And now, you know, we're doing less sheep hunts now than we were, um, just to give us more time and to give us uh, a, when we're out there hunting sheep, we can put our whole heart into it. Right. You know, rather than do one, do another, do another, do another, do another, do another you know, almost like run through them. Now it's like we have, you know, five to six and we, yeah, it's put our quality over into quantity yeah. at that point. For yeah. sure. For sure. And that's what I was just getting ready to say. Like hundred percent. Yeah. And also the sheep season only allocates a certain amount, right? Like mm. uh, of time to fulfill a certain amount. Of time. So it's hard to be everywhere and achieve at the same, you know, uh, level but having said that though we still go for the best genetic units and 
handle the share of all of the desert units. Yeah. Yeah. Showed sheep, whether we guide in there or not, we're there. If you're yeah. wondering whether we're there, we're there. Right. Yeah. If you're wondering where we are, we're probably looking at you with our binoculars. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's always watching. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure out there, huh? Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. What a story. Um, so speaking of like the conservation of, you know, like sheep and like that, I know you guys have done a few conservation direct stuff with Kuyu and I've been on a few too, um, at GSEO. We're like super in love with that model. Um, so what do you guys think about like the future of comfort? Uh, conservation and how like Brendan has kind of put that program together and like being that hands-on like I think that's for me that's what conservation is like is that not just throwing your money in at it but actually being there and doing it and seeing you know the results of of everything so what do you guys think about that that model I I think it's about time I think it's about time and I think it is awesome that somebody a brand a person whoever donates for those conservation initiatives steps up and does it you know the fact that um you know brendan burns took it upon himself to kind of set that up and get that going speaks volumes if you ask me mm-hmm. uh, the commitment and effort to you know towards the wild animal and that natural resource um, i think i think on the on the gsco side i think the opportunity with the variety of species and working on projects that not only have sheep, but maybe some of the other animals that don't get the same attention, and maybe we can raise some things about them that might be helpful to hunting opportunity as well as, you know, maybe help the species do a little bit better uh, where it needs that help. Um, all of them. That's what I think. I think that that is an awesome opportunity. Uh, I'd like to see more of it. Yeah. You know, I was just going to touch on this really quick. It all starts. Um, with action and action's not possible without time and money. And I think GSEO's vision has always been, um, you know, get people together, get people like-minded, you know, recognize individuals and gather money to then put into our resources. And what I think is starting to be realized with stuff like, um, conservation direct and, a lot of other nonprofit organizations or for-profit organizations is the actual act of taking the financial part and putting it into action. Um, and that's the hardest part to get done. You know, like, oh, we need a new water in the desert. Perfect. The funding has been organized and funded by hunters or funded by whatever. And But to get those volunteers and to get those people in action is the gnarliest part because everybody is living their own lives. And I, I don't know, I don't know where I was going with that, but it's so where everybody wants to do conservation. Everybody wants to be a part, but it's really, really, really hard to find the bodies to do it. And things like conservation direct where there's actually people willing to make a move and willing to take time out of their lives to go and do it. You know, like I'll, I'll give a, for instance, really quick, we discovered out in the desert that one of the waters was really low and we, we couldn't get anybody to go and haul water. So I made an Instagram post, and you know, got a list of names and numbers and sent out a mass email and got 15 people. And then they went and put 3,800 gallons of water in this water hole 
out in the desert that had gone dry and fixed the problem. Wow. That's great. That's necessary for those That's, animals right now as the desert temperatures go oh, up and up and up and up and up. That water source would have just disappeared. Yeah, but the reason we need that water source is because um, essentially we started you know, expanding into the West. Conservation needs to be initiated, not preservation. There's a huge difference. Mm -hmm. uh, if there was an island somewhere that has never had human contact, preservation is ideal. Um, anywhere there's been human contact, we've messed it up, and we need to now lend a hand on fixing it. And for every action, there's a reaction. And so conservation needs to be continuous and never-ending. And so revenues like GSCO need to continue year after year and continue to gather revenue and continue to expand and grow to make sure that our wildlife and our wild lands are protected for generations to come. It's not something that can just be solved with a dollar amount right now because that you know, our solution now is going to be a problem later because we've already messed it up. And so it just needs to be a continuous growth and an adaptation to the changing of times. And stuff like GSCO branching out into so many different species across the world and then having, you know, actual people to step up and actually go and haul sheep somewhere or haul water or um, do a study or pay for collars or donate a plane usage for telemetry. Example. Yeah. Sheep's a great example. We've subsidized the desert with water holes. Now the sheep are historically used to that. Mm -hmm. You can't take them out. Yeah. I yeah. go backwards. So we got it. That's a cost. There's a, an ongoing cost associated with that. And sheep and the weather moves and migrates, right? So, but we stopped their migration. Well, that's what I'm saying. You've stopped yeah. their migration. You put them in one part of the desert and then that next year, they shift a little bit over one side, maybe we need to make sure there's water there too. You yeah. know, if they start to expand in places. Um, but I think there's a good opportunity for GSCO with um, like the Super 10 model of doing a Super 10 conservation program where you do, you go through all of the, you know, the Super 10 species and do a conservation project through yeah. them. Yeah. Stuff like that, like where you flip the lid on people and yeah, change, for change sure. their narrative just to, take it to the next chapter. I think, um, you know, those kinds of things are a great opportunity, conservation opportunities for, for you guys. And, uh, you know, I think, I think putting some focus on North American big game animals on the conservation side or outside of the traditional ones that you hear about, I, I don't think is the worst thing. Mm. I think it's a good thing. Yeah. We're, 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 our, our hunting rights and our hunting opportunity across the board are being hammered at every single day. Um, you know, and there's not one real major organization that, you know, supports all of that. And uh, I would just like to see more of that pers personally. Yeah, no, I agree. Like uh, expanding, you know, beyond mountain game, you know, to, to, to do an antelope uh, relocation or era, anything like that, you know, or just um, having that hands-on and expanding the program and i think uh, the conservation direct model kind of showed us the way of of how to approach it in the new age you know before it was just you know you write a check and here you go like here's for conservation no now it's changed you know adding that private sector to it too and you know yeah. being being there to volunteer and actually i mean because I, I i know we did i did a, a guzzler in nevada and then I, we did uh, the arizona translocation and that was one of the 
the coolest things I've ever been a part of. Like I was like, wow, now I get it, you know? Mm. So it was, uh, it was amazing. And it's just more, I would just, it just makes me want to be a part of it even more. Absolutely. So more, yeah, more, more. Yeah, more conservation, the more hunting opportunities, the things that lead to hunting opportunities is, is, is kind of what, what we want to be about, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. all right. Well, we've been on here for quite a while, but I have a couple more questions for you guys. Uh, and this is just like on your personal level, like what, so let's start with Jeff. Like is what's your top three list of animals that, um, you want to hunt personally? Uh, I just, I'll give you one combo hunt. Will that work? Yeah, that'll work. Jaguar marsh deer. Nice. That's original, man, for sure. The jaguar would be sick. In Brazil. In Brazil. Yeah, both are protected in that area now. Right. But that, that, that would be my dream hunt. You said you're going to die next week, you can hunt anything. I would say drop me off the, you know, that's what I want to hunt. Man, that would be legit. Like that Jaguars, that would be awesome. I love cats, though. <laughs> Dude. What about you, Jake? Dude, that was gnarly. Yeah. Was like, really <laughs> How do you follow that? <laughs> and Mars deer. Like, man, I my my deal changes all the time. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I really wanted a bighorn from Alberta, and I was fortunate enough to get one last year. And that was life-changing. Um I don't know what it is about the Tibet, China region mm-hmm. and like their Tibetan antelope and stuff like that. It's, I have a weird draw to it or even like a black buck in India. I don't know why that antelope species in that part of the world is so intriguing to me, but I just love them. I think they're beautiful little animals, you know, their features and everything. Mm-hmm. That's something I just love and have like a weird desire to see one day and hunt um but again you can't really in those places but yeah. uh yeah i've been fortunate to hunt a lot of my favorite animals and and do them a lot you know i love chamois mm-hmm. uh, chamois and i've spent four years of my life in new zealand and hunted a lot of chamois uh that's another one that would be huge on my list is like Serbia, Croatia, go hunt some chamois over there. Mm-hmm. Beautiful chamois, absolutely oh. beautiful faces and beautiful color. Do the Balkan over there, huh? Yeah, and they're so like inquisitive, and they're not really dependable all the time. Sometimes they run down, sometimes they run up, sometimes they don't run, sometimes they run to you. They're just so um, weird as a species, and yeah. I love them. I love them. That's cool, man. That's uh, definitely a species that I like chasing too, chamois, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, it's affordable. Like, you can go shoot a couple chamois. I mean, you can go to Europe and and bang out a bunch of chamois in 12 days, you know, three different chamois in three different countries. Yep. So yep. That's, a, that's a cool part about that is it's a they're, – they're, they're managed so well over there that they're – there's lots of them and the hunting opportunities, you're going to have a bunch of opportunities to, to be able to shoot if you miss or if something happens, you know, that's the cool part about the chamois for sure. So, so cool. Okay guys. Well, it's been great talking to you guys, man. I uh, look forward to maybe doing another one sometime 
um, and talk about like how your season went or, or something like that. Or maybe we can get together on a conservation director or through GSEO doing our own conservation projects sometime. And we would love that. And I'll get together and, and, uh, meet up and yeah, just, uh, help further the uh, species that, uh, we're, we're conserving and, and just go from there, man. Yeah. Well, I, I think I speak for both of us. We have, I love GSCO and I want nothing but, um, a fruitful future and anything that we can do, uh, and be involved. We're game on all the time. You know, we, we make it a point to show up at the convention every year and, and support it and support what it's always been about and the depth of, um, genuine hunters and real authenticity back behind the organization is unsurpassed. And so we just want to keep rocking on and, uh, for sure. We appreciate that, man. And maybe we can sit down and do a live podcast at the convention this year, come by the booth and hang out with you guys. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for having us. Really, really appreciate it. And, um, you know, enjoyed it. All right. I enjoyed it too, fellas. It's been great. Cheers. Cheers, bud. Are you registered to come to our convention yet? Spots are filling up fast, so make sure and go to slamquest.org and get that done. We will be holding it once again at the Westgate Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada, January 19th through the 21st, 2023. Come and enjoy the greatest awards program and talk with outfitters and friends from around the world. We've got some really cool next level things we're unveiling at the convention this year that you won't want to miss. So we hope to see you there.
Are you registered to come to our convention yet? Spots are filling up fast, so make sure and go to slamquest.org and get that done. We will be holding it once again at the Westgate Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada, January 19th through the 21st, 2023. Come and enjoy the greatest awards program and talk with outfitters and friends from around the world. We've got some really cool next-level things we're unveiling at the convention this year that you won't want to miss. So we hope to see you there.